So if you've ever had that moment where you walk up to some friends or some people talking right in the middle of a conversation and you realize you are not going to talk because you have no idea what they're talking about, you, you miss the beginnings of the conversation, that's essentially uh, what Romans 6 is. When you just step right into Romans 6 and Paul starts off with a question, you, you need to know, he's right in the middle of a thought, right in the middle of a conversation, and you need to know what he said before. And what Paul says in essentially Romans 1 through 5 is what we have said so far in this sermon series. In fact, this is why we're ending this series based on Romans 6 and Walk by Faith. What, what he said so far is, as I said, what we've said. We've said that you are sa not saved by anything that you do, but you are totally saved by grace through faith. Paul has told all of his people, the people of Rome, that you are not saved by climbing a mountain uh, to God based on good works, based on earning his love, based on checking all the religious boxes and doing all of the things and therefore God loves you. No, you can't do that. If you want to be saved that way, then you've got to keep the whole law and keep it perfectly. And he says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is no hope that we have to being saved or getting to God that way. But instead, the only way that you are saved is purely by his love. By God sending Jesus Christ, right, the image of God himself, like to us, to save us, to rescue us with his perfect life, death, and resurrection. And not only did he take our sins from us, but that perfect life that Jesus earned is now attributed to us by faith. We're saved by grace, this undeserved love, and that is ours by faith. And as Paul is describing this, almost like the, the cherry on top, one of the things that he literally just said before he launches in to chapter 6 is this beautiful statement. He says, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more. That you do not need to worry yourself about your sin separating you from God, because the truth is, you cannot outsin God's grace. That there is not going to be a moment in your life, there is not going to be a sin that you could commit that is too big. There's not an amount of sins you could commit that would be too many that God's grace could not cover. Or in terms of our first point today, if you'd like to take notes, it's simply this. God's grace is always bigger than our sin. That is the main message of the Bible. That's the main message of what a place like this, what our church is about. That his grace is not only limitless, but it is free, it is unconditional, and it is yours by faith. Which then brings up an interesting logical potential argument. That if God's grace is free and limitless, why not just go on sinning? Like if it's true, God's grace is bigger than our sin, then why not just continue to live your life however you want? Why change when you come to faith? It seems like this logical loophole that you can then use the, the grace of God as a license to sin and just go ahead and live however you want, having the best of both worlds, right? Like, okay, by faith, I believe in Jesus. My sins are gone. They're covered. They're dead with him. I'm alive in him. And so I have God, and I will have God fully one day. 
And if it's limitless, then it seems like I can also indulge in whatever I want to do and have the best of both worlds, right? God in this world, I can have my cake and I can eat it too. That's, that's kind of what it seems. And I'm wondering if you've ever had that thought. Now, maybe not in so many words, but spiritually speaking, can I tell you what this sounds like? As a pastor, I've heard it. Yeah, I know God doesn't want me to get drunk, but come on, it's our 21st birthday, or come on, there's this big party, but hey, it's okay, because I can wake up knowing that I'm forgiven anyways. What's the big deal? Yeah, I know I should not be planning on sinning. I know God does not want that. But do you remember that point from Pastor's sermon? Uh, God's grace is always bigger than our sin. And Pastor, I know I shouldn't be doing this in my relationship. I know I should forgive them. I know I should do this, but you know what? I'm not going to, but hey, you said it. You can never outsin God's grace. So I'm covered, right? And the question that question poses is, is that how a person of faith responds to the limitless free grace of God? And to answer that question, Paul is going to show us just what the right attitude of a person who walks by faith, who truly cherishes and appreciates the grace of God, what that attitude looks like. And that's where Romans 6 begins. And Paul starts off, he says, what shall we say then? Based on what we just said, that you cannot sin God's grace, that it's limitless, what shall we say then? Shall we just go on sinning so that grace may increase? Shall we just sin some more so we can receive more grace and sin some more so we can see more grace and just continue to get showered with grace? It sounds like a good idea, right? Here's what Paul says. By no means. And I'm going to pause there because what this is, is like the strongest way you can say no in the language at that time. The Greek word there, uh, Greek words, excuse me, me genoita, probably will never remember that. But what this is, is Paul basically saying, are you out of your mind? Are you absolutely insane? That is the dumbest thing that I have ever heard. That's the equivalent of what those two Greek words mean. Why does he say that? He says, we are those who've died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Now, we understand that phrase still today. That you've died to sin. If, if someone is dead to you, which, of course, by the way, as Christians, we do not advocate for holding on to bitterness. We don't advocate for holding on to grudges. We forgive, we love, we show compassion, right? But we understand what that phrase means. If something is dead to you, you've cut it off. You don't go back to it. And Paul says that is how it is with your relationship with sin in Christ. Sin is dead to you. Don't go back to it. If you want, you could think about it like this. Imagine you had a friend who was a drug addict, heroin, cocaine, whatever it was, and they overdosed one, two, three times. They were within like this close to dying. And you and your family and your friends, you got together and you had an intervention for them. And it worked. They got into a rehab facility. They got cleaned up for weeks and for months. They got their body off of the addiction, healthy again. They come out of that rehab facility. They come to you, and they say, thank you. I almost died, and you saved me. You gave me a brand new life, a second chance. And you said to them, so what are you going to do with your new life? And they said, well, I'm going to call my dealer up, and I'm going to start using again. What would you say? You would say, me genoita. You would say, 
Are you out of your mind? Are you absolutely insane? That is the dumbest thing that I have ever heard. Why? Because that was the old you. You left that behind. You have a new life. That is dead to you. So why would you go back to it? You have a new life. You don't get, you don't get clean, so just so you can go get dirty again. You don't get rid of the old life, live a new life, just so you can go back to the old life again. It's dead to you. Paul says what you need to remember is who you are. You need to remember your identity, which is exactly where he goes next. He says, or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised through the, from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Okay. I know there's a lot there. But what Paul is basically saying is this amazing truth that says, in your baptisms, you are so closely connected to Christ that what happened to him is what happens to you. That just as Jesus Christ died and was crucified, not just him, but your sin, so also that's what happened to the old you in baptism. In those waters of baptism, however great or small, however few drops, it doesn't matter because the power is in the word, and that word drowned that old self. And there was a funeral. And your sin was gone. And just as Christ also was resurrected from the dead, out of those waters of baptism, not only was your sin washed away, but you were reborn in the resurrection of Christ, giving a new identity, a new life, with new desires and new passions to follow Christ. Now, I realize that as I talk to a church like ours, and as I've gotten to get to know everyone, not all of us, have the same atypical story of baptism. Because probably, especially in this service, a good majority of us who were brought to baptism as infants, as babies, maybe some of us who were brought to baptism as toddlers, maybe some of us as teenagers, and maybe some of us as adults, which means that there's a number of us who came to faith before baptism, that the Word of God converted us and changed us and still, we got baptized because if you read the Bible, every Christian who comes to faith before baptism still says, yes, I want to get baptized, right? It's a good thing. Okay, regard, excuse me, regardless of your story, don't miss the point that Paul is trying to make. The point Paul is making is when God gave you the miracle of conversion, when God gave you the miracle of faith, whether it's through the word, whether it's through the waters of baptism, God created a new you. God created a brand new person in relation to him who's not enslaved to sin anymore, but is totally with him. Or in terms of our next point, you might say that the faith that saves you is the faith that changes you. Because if you're a new person, then you live a new way. You were saved from sin, not for sin. You're different now. Out with the old self, in with the new self, which is also how Paul illustrates it in the next verse. For we know that our old self was what? Crucified with Christ. 
so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who's died has been set free from sin. Now, this is really fascinating. So many times we think of just sin as like a choice. It's a volition of the will. It's an act that I choose to make. Paul says, actually, when it comes to your old self, it wasn't just a choice. It was your master. And you were blinded to how much it owned you. You were blinded to how much it actually controlled you and called the shots. You were enslaved to it. And what God did was so amazing. He saved you. He created that faith in you. He saved you, and that changes you because not only are you set free from sin, but you are now free to follow Christ. You have a new identity. You're no longer in relationship with sin. It is not your master. You're in a new relationship now. You're in a relationship with Jesus. And maybe a way you can think about that relationship is like this. Uh, think for a second, how does a person get rich? Now, there's probably a number of ways you could answer that, but I think one of the most common ways a person typically gets rich is that they work hard, make lots of sacrifices, grit, all those commitments. Now, let's say that person gets married. Well, how does a spouse get rich? Is it through the same hard work and sacrifice and determination and grit? No. In fact, they get rich through a legal union, just through a simple relationship. And based on Paul's words, what he would say is, you're that spouse in this relationship. Like Jesus Christ did all the work, right? A perfect life, a submissive death on the cross that covered all of your sins, a resurrection, and he earned all of the riches of heaven. And you gain it solely by the fact that you are in relation to him, that he chose you, that he adopted you, that he said, you're my bride, which is how scripture talks about it. The, the, the church, God's people who believe in him, they're the bride of Christ. That's so fitting because that means everything Christ won is automatically yours. So Christ won forgiveness, Christ won heaven, Christ won God, Christ won peace, all of those things. You can just keep going on and on and on. And that is yours, not from any merit that you've done. It's totally from relationship to Jesus. And so when you think about your new identity in those terms— you look at that question that Paul posed, well, why not just go on sinning? What difference does it make? Won't I just be forgiven anyways? Paul would say, that's the wrong question a person of faith needs to ask. A better question is, who are you? What's your relationship to sin look like? Because you used to be enslaved to it. Not anymore. No, in fact, you're set free from that relationship. You're set free from those old ways. It's dead to you. And what you have is freedom in Christ. You have a better relationship, so why would you want to go back? When Jesus Christ offers you more than sin ever could. Because he a faith that saves you is a faith that changes you. 
Now, I have to say this before we move on. Don't misunderstand Paul. What he's not saying is that, therefore, you'll never sin. He's not saying, well, you'll never be tempted to sin ever again. Uh, no, actually, if you read the next chapter in Romans chapter 7, yeah, quite the opposite. You'll see his own struggle where he talks about the good that he wants to do, doesn't do. The evil he doesn't want to do, that's what he seems to be doing so many times, and he's so frustrated at himself. But he says, that's not the end of the story. There's hope because the new man inside of you, yeah, you'll battle with this tug-of-war battle between the new you and the old you, and it's crucified, but it's a good swimmer, and it keeps coming back up, and you've got to drown it daily, reminding yourself of your baptism, reminding yourself of who you are. But because of the faith that God has given you, you have the ability to say no to that sin and yes to Christ. Because a faith that saves you is a faith that changes you. There was this old school theologian named Augustine. Some of you have maybe heard of him. If you haven't, don't worry about it. But regardless to say, before he was a Christian, he lived a rather promiscuous life in the past. And he writes in, in one of his writings a, a time about after his conversion, how he was walking and one of his old mistresses came out to see him and invited her back to his place like they used to do in the past. And instead, Augustine just said no and kept walking. And it occurred to this mistress, maybe uh, it's been a while, maybe he forgot who I was. So she called out to him and said, Augustine, it is I. And he turned around and he said, yes, but it is not I. No, it's me, but it's not me. And that I used to live that way. I, I used to have a, a desire to just indulge all my cravings and, and desires. But I'm under a new master now. Christ. Who offers me more than that old life, that old master ever could. So why in the world would I want to go back? Sometimes people look at faith and following Christ as if it's this, oh, this forced thing, oh, this is regrettable, I guess I have to do this thing. No. No, it's actually just this natural thing that a person by faith wants to respond to the limitless free gift of God when you realize how good it is. Then you just naturally want your life to fall in line with Christ. And to not live for yourself, but here you go, God. And as the one hymn says, take my life and let it be ever only all for thee. It's yours. So as I close, um, I want to show you these two trees, and I have a question for you. Of these two trees, which one is alive and which one is dead? Yeah, real, real, real tough question, right? Of course, the one on the left, dead. The one on the right, alive. Now, the follow-up question is that is, how can you tell? Okay, so imagine you were talking to, you know, a three-year-old. Okay, and you ask the three-year-old, like, so how can you tell the one on the left is dead and how can you tell the one on the right is alive? Well, you would say, by looking at the outside. And the one on the left, like, there's no leaves. The one on the right, full of fruit, you might say. And the reason I show you this picture is because this is the same analogy that Jesus used earlier and that the Bible writers and scripture uses to describe a life of responding to God in faith. That the way we respond is by bearing fruit. 
And what kind of fruit? Well, that would be the, the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, Galatians 5, you've heard me say this before. Uh, maybe some of you know this passage. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Don't think that's an exhaustive list, but it keeps going and going, right? That's, that's the kind of fruit that God is looking for, that, the kind of fruit that a, a person who walks by faith produces. And is it going to be perfect fruit? Nope. You're still going to wrestle with that old self. You're still going to struggle with that. But the closer you are to Christ in relationship to him, right? Just like any relationship, the more you, you naturally respond. Uh, Jesus himself put it this way, John 15. He said, I'm the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit, but apart from me, you can do nothing. And that makes total sense, right? Those, those fruit trees... The longer that, that branches around and grows and stays connected to, to the trunk or to the vine, what happens to that fruit? It, it just continues to grow over season and over season and over season. And you can expect to see more and more and more fruit. That Jesus says, that's what happens when you stay close to me. And I think that's what happens in any sort of relationship, right? Like the longer you're in a relationship with someone, the more you grow to appreciate them, the more you just naturally respond in that way of producing fruit. But apart from me, oh, you can do nothing. You cut that branch off, and there's no life-giving source. There's nothing there. Or the way his half-brother James said it this way, in the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. That, that if someone says, yeah, I have faith. Yeah, I believe in Jesus. Yep, I, I know God. But there's not this indication of fruit. Maybe you need to watch out. Because you see, the theme for our sermon today is not faith can respond. It's not, well, faith might respond. No, it's faith responds. And the way it responds is by naturally bearing fruit. Or the way Martin Luther so succinctly put it, he put it the way our last point is today. You're saved by faith alone. But faith is never alone. Like you are saved completely by the work and the merit of Jesus Christ. But that faith is never just by itself. But instead, it is accompanied and surrounded by fruits. You will see the genuineness of that faith by all the fruit that is around it and that keeps growing. So what's that mean for us today? Two words that begin with R. <laughs> First one, repent. And it's not, a, it's not an old school, dirty, lame church word. It's a, it's a beautiful word, repent. It's the life of a Christian, repent, every day. Every day, repent because you remember who you are and you remember that you died to that sin and, and repent every day of the times when you say, I think I abused God's grace. And I think I indulged my flesh, and I think I, I went back to the old self and the old ways. And you walk away from that. You turn away from that. Some of you have heard me say this. Repent means that we don't give an excuse to our sin. We don't live our new lives as just saying, well, yeah, I'm just a grumpy person. Just who I am. Yeah, I'm just really impatient, you know, and yeah, I'm really just an angry, well, I'm just rough around the edges. You're going to have to deal with it. No, repent means you change. That was the old you. 
And the new you, the new you bears the fruit of the Spirit in those areas. And the second word that begins with R, rejoice. Repent and rejoice. Rejoice knowing that you can leave here today knowing exactly how your God feels about you because of Christ. Rejoice knowing that your names are written in the book of heaven and it has nothing to do with you. Rejoice knowing that you are saved by grace alone that comes to you through faith and that faith even still a gift of God that it had nothing to do with you, but completely and solely and totally the beautiful work of Jesus Christ. So that when temptation comes knocking and when sin creeps up and says, don't you want to come back? Don't you want to sin? Come on, you'll be forgiven. That you would remember that's the wrong question to ask. But instead, you'd remember the right question to ask is, who am I? Because when you know the answer to that question, a person of faith will respond accordingly. Amen.